0: Hi, and welcome to the Rare Business Podcast. My name is Adrian Swinsco and I'm a consultant, advisor, researcher, and writer on all things related to customer service and customer experience. Through this podcast, I seek out and interview CEOs, entrepreneurs, business and tech leaders, and leading thinkers about what it takes to build organizations that produce better outcomes for both customers and employees in this fast-moving modern age that we live in. If this is your first time listening to one of these interviews, then welcome, and please do dive into the archives at adrianswinsco.com, as I've now completed over 250 of these interviews in the last few years. If this is not your first time listening, then thank you for returning, and I'll aim to do a good enough job to keep you coming back week after week. Anyway, that's enough from me right now, let's get into the interview. So, welcome to the next edition of the Rare Business Podcast. With me today, I am super excited because for the second time on this <clears throat> on the podcast, I have Seth Godin with us. And Seth, for those people who don't know, is a world-renowned marketeer and author of 18 international bestsellers. But hi, Seth. How are you doing?
1: I'm fantastic. Thank you for having me again. It's good to talk to you.
0: So, Seth, I'm you know, I guess it's probably because I'm a little bit of a fanboy or actually a lot of a fanboy of your work. And so I'm saying that kind of blushing, but that's not a like, blushing is good on the radio or on the kind of the, uh, or on a podcast as it were, because you can't see it. But I think the, um, I'm always flabbergasted when I mention how much attention that I pay to your work and how it sort of inspires me to, to think differently and do more in things. But there are some people that haven't They don't follow your work. And so for the benefit of our listeners and readers, it would be fantastic if you could give us a bit of a thumbnail sketch on Seth Godin, the world of Seth Godin.
1: Well, I'm mostly a teacher, sometimes an entrepreneur. Uh, I've written, as you mentioned, 18 books. The 19th one is coming out. It's called This Is Marketing. Mm -hmm. I blog every day at Seths.blog. And the thesis of my work is that if you can do work that matters for people who care, you don't have to spend a lot of time Doing underhanded, spammy, attention-getting tricks. Mm-hmm. Instead, you can focus on doing work that matters.
0: Perfect. So, as you mentioned, your nineteenth book is is coming out, and it's called "This Is Marketing," and the subtitle being "You Can't Be Seen Until You Learn to See." So, I have two questions, if, if I may, to start with. Is like this feels like a magnum opus of sorts. Would that be correct?
1: Well, uh, I. My Latin isn't that good, but I don't think I deserve a magnum. <laughs> I, I, I think that what it is is a summation, a call to action, right, as well as some important new thinking about how we live and work in a world where mass marketing is over mm-hmm. and micro marketing has taken its place. The internet is not a mass medium. It is the largest micro medium in history. Mm-hmm. But it's tempting to want to see be seen by everyone to do something to, quote, get the word out. Sure. And my thesis is that addressing the smallest viable audience and doing it with care is not only more effective, but more satisfying than trying to pander to the masses.
0: Absolutely. And so the second part of my question was, I was really, really intrigued by the subtitle of the book, which is You Can't Be Seen Until You Learn to See. And that feels like it's like another, it's like almost a different, another layer on the the thesis. And so it starts to dig into it. I mean, can you explain to me what you mean by that? That can't be seen until you learn to see? Because I think that's a really, I sense it's an important point.
1: Yeah, no one wants what you want. No one believes what you believe. No one sees what you see. Okay. And it's naive to believe that the noise in our head is the same as the noise in everyone else's head. Yes, And if you want to engage with other people, you can't insist that they hear your noise. But maybe if you work hard at it, you could hear their noise.
0: Right. And so I guess my question is, is because this feels like a big change for marketeers um, that have grown up in, if you like, an industrialized version of marketing. So it's almost, you know, you churn it out and it's all about the channels and the frequency and the loudness and all these different sort of things. And so... And that may be a challenge for, for, for many. So, I mean, it's, a, it's, I mean, is this a, is this a tactics change or is this a mindset change or is it both?
1: Oh, I think it's a huge challenge because very few people go into marketing desiring to be empathetic. Right. Okay. They go into Mark, they go into marketing because they want to put on a show uh-huh. because they want to win. Mm-hmm. And the idea of making an assertion and putting ideas into the world is more important than ever before this is not about asking people what they want what this is about is coming to conclusions about how people see things and then bringing them something and saying here i made this mm-hmm. with the hope that it will resonate with what they've wanted all along right
0: and so i mean empathy's empathy's hard to to develop I mean so what I mean what's the what do you what where should people start with some of this sort of stuff because it is a big change and you can't it's, I guess it's not you can't just flick a switch you've just got to, you've got to go on a bit of a journey I guess and so wh- how should people get started with this this sort of stuff because it's it may actually feel quite daunting for many they might get the call to action but then go don't necessarily have to start what would you say what would you suggest but, to them
1: that's a brilliant question. And, you know, we've been teaching the marketing seminar online for a couple of years. 6,000 people have taken it. So I've yeah. watched people go through this challenge. Mm. And the thing that shifted gears for most people was when I said, instead of thinking of yourself as a marketer, think of yourself as a teacher. Right. And the person you're trying to teach as a voluntary student mm-hmm. because there's no such thing as mandatory education it's always got to have engagement associated with it yeah, yeah so how do you seek enrollment once you have enrollment how do you teach the other person the story you need them to believe and understand and embrace in order to make change happen mm-hmm. and if we can begin with just 10 students not a million students or 10 million students, but just 10 students. Mm-hmm. If you can change 10 students, now you're on your way to being able to do it professionally.
0: Right. And when you, when you when you say professionally, does that mean you can think about how you can scale that up and how it applies to larger numbers?
1: Well, I use the word professional. When I think of a professional, I think of a surgeon. There are no amateur surgeons. <laughs> yes. And when you go to a surgeon, you don't want vulnerability and you don't even want authenticity. And you don't want a surgeon who's going to do a better job when she's in a good mood than when she's in a bad mood. Yeah. Now, what it means to be a professional is you make a promise and you keep it. Mm-hmm. And that promise isn't on your behalf. It's on their behalf. Mm-hmm. So there are there are amateur marketers everywhere who market when they feel like it, who tell a story that resonates with them in that moment. Mm-hmm. But I am hopeful that we can help people become professional marketers, which means that they will do the work they said they were going to do. Regardless of what the terrain is like.
0: But it's also kind of, it, I think that you're, the term when you talk about marketers is it's not about qualifications and it's not about degrees and certifications and all these different things. It's almost like a way of being.
1: That's right. So, what do marketers do? We change the culture. That's what marketers do. We right. make a change happen. And no license is required, no permit, no fancy degree, as you said. Mm-hmm. But, there are more bad marketers in the world than any other profession. And that's because everyone is a marketer, but most people don't realize it.
0: Yes, because actually you're there to solve problems. Not, as you can say in the book, not companies' problems, but you're to solve your customers or your people's or your patients' or your clients' kind of problems. So it's actually, I, what I've, what I was really intrigued about was also this other idea within the book. There's this idea around Service and marketing has service at its heart, so it's not something you do to people, but it's actually something you use to help kind of people. Um, and given that that service the idea of services is, is an area that I explore, I thought that was kind of interesting because I also think there's this there's, and that 's something I've been thinking about recently is that many people have a very interesting relationship to the word service and to serve and that again that creates a bit, a bit of a challenge possibly a psychological and a cultural kind of challenge for many so it, it's this leap this transformation it's it it's gets it is it's very it's significant the more i read into it and what you thought you were folding into it, i was thinking yeah this is a big deal and there's some people who are not going to be able to do this
1: definitely and you know that you're you're previewing a, a section of the book that we don't talk about on the cover, but I think is one of the most important parts, which is this idea of status roles uh-huh. and affiliation versus dominance. Right. That Some people have trouble <clears throat> with service. Some people have trouble with service because it feels like you are being subservient. Yes, The indeed. word service is insubservient. Mm-hmm. But when we think about our heroes, you know, the Nelson Mandela's or the general patents of the world. Yeah they became heroic through service. Yes. And it is not this narcissistic me, me, me thing that actually allows somebody to be important in our culture. Mm. That what makes someone important, what raises their status, Mm. is that they figured out how to lead and how to be of service, not so they could be at the front of the parade, but so that the tribe that they are assembling and leading succeeds. Mm. And when that happens... That is the highest form of status we can offer somebody.
0: So, uh, yeah, but it also kind of like it, it, it's also related to your kind of worldview and whether you think that life is a zero sum game, either as winners and losers, or that can everybody can win as well, I guess. And so it kind of gets back to this almost like a, a fundamental question around how do you want to be, or how do you want to be in the world with the people around you.
1: Absolutely. You know, if, if we think about an industrial Adam Smith capitalistic scarcity-based mindset, yeah. and the word economics comes from scarcity, mm-hmm. then you pretty much quickly get into winners and losers. Yes. But, but if we accept that we live in a connection economy where ideas that spread win, where Metcalf's law supersedes the law of scarcity, where a network with more people on it is more valuable than a network with no one on it, mm-hmm. then the rules have changed. And the rules have gone from, I have a factory and you don't, to, I am part of a network, do you want to join me? Right. Mm. That's interesting.
0: Forgive me, I feel like I'm circling around the same sort of thing, but it just feels like there is a big problem. And and one of the central problems around making the shift is all these different sort of things that I guess we've developed or we've surrounded ourselves with, whether it's an Adam Smith viewpoint or it's it's the kind of this industrial scale sort of marketing machine that we have. But then there's this other thing that you allude to, or you mentioned directly in the book. We use the word neophiliacs, which I thought is, it's, it's a great kind of word. And I just made me think about whether as and organizations for that matter are actually suffer from i.e., uh, You were always addicted to the new. And in order to be able to move to this idea of, doing something in service to people and with people rather than actually doing something to people. We've got to uh, almost like wean ourselves off of our neophilism addiction. Are you kind of be addicted to everything new, particularly new technology or new trends or, uh, or so, uh, new memes or so on and so forth? And so it feels like there's, there's a number of different levels that we've got to try and unpick before, I, or maybe in a way unlearn, and you use the teaching um uh, idea earlier. We've got to unlearn some stuff to be able to take on a new perspective or a new journey.
1: Well, I think it depends on who you are seeking to serve. So okay. if, we take a, if we take a look at the most valuable corporation in the history of the world, for the first 25 years or so Apple served the neophiliacs. Mm. They said if you want to be on the frontier, if you want to help invent the next generation of digital good taste and connection, mm. Apple will be on the frontier with you. And since Tim Cook has taken over, he has dramatically increased the value of the company and completely abandoned the neophiliacs. They haven't had a significant new product introduction in more than six years. Mm -hmm. And that's because he works for the shareholders. And he understood that the best way to increase profit was to use the momentum he got from the neophiliacs to reach other people, people who don't want the world to change every day. Mm. And so this is a choice. Right. Okay. It's a choice. And you can decide to live on the vanguard to make that promise to your people, or you can decide to live in the middle of the curve. And there's nothing wrong with either one. Yeah. The challenge is if you make the wrong promise to the wrong people. Right.
0: So, I mean, what you're actually kind of not then advocating is that we abandon all firms and all people and all marketeers abandon. The, you know, the, the traditional, more traditional way of uh, doing things, it's a, this is only, because you, you refer to it in the, the book as a method, is only for, is only going to be suitable for some people.
1: Well, you know, if, you, if I take myself as an example, mm-hmm. I, I serve the neophiliacs. I have not put in any effort to be on television, to reach a larger audience, to find more readers for my writing. Mm. Instead, I do writing for my readers, Yes And that was an intentional decision I took about seven years ago, where I said, "I don't want to chase the sequel and the make this idea bigger, bigger, bigger world. I want to have the luxury of work in a studio and say, "Here, I made this to the group of people that want my new thing." Yes, and that's fine because my smallest viable audience is pretty small, and I'm okay with it.
0: yeah. I mean, so it's a bit like the, um, like you say, it's almost like getting really focused on that minimum viable audience. I think in the book you use an example. I have a friend, Minter, who is a, a big Grateful Dead fan, so I know that uh, I'll point him to the podcast when it comes out, and so he'll he'll like the fact that I've mentioned his name and that he's also a Grateful Dead fan. But you mentioned the Grateful Dead in the book and how they've been extraordinarily successful consistently and sustainably over, oh, I don't know, is it 30, 40 years now, if not longer? And it's because they focused on, rather than trying to be in the charts, they, the game that they played was, we were gonna focus on our audience. And the bargain's very clear, then we start small and then it grows from there.
1: That's right, the, in the US they only had one top 40 hit. Right. And, it, and that one hit actually hurt them for a very long time. Because what that one hit did was bring a whole different crowd to their shows. Right and that cr- that crowd was more violent and more into drugs, and as a result, the shows suffered for years. Mm-hmm. But when they weren't that having that one hit, what they were doing was finding music for their listeners and mm-hmm. putting on a show for their listeners and It turns out that two or three million people who desperately love your work is enough to be the number one touring band in America for year after year after year. excellent
0: I mean. To bring all this to life, I mean, I know you, there's a lot of stories in the book that sort of about, you know, people and companies that are already operating in this in, in the manner that you're, that, that you're advocating, I marketing that has service at its heart and trust and empathy and it's about helping solving, you know, some, somebody else's or their problems rather than the company's problems and, and the benefits then come to you sort of indirectly. Could you give us a share with us a couple of examples of of uh, either companies and or individuals that you think actually this is what they've done and this is how they've kind of done it, sort of, to bring this approach to life, so make it kind of real for for people.
1: Oh, I'd be delighted. Um, you know, Perfect. so humility. You know, we need to have humility whether we want to or not, because the marketplace won't let us buy arrogance. Sure. And in the book, I tell the story of Penguin Magic, which is a multi-million dollar company. I love that because I was going
0: to ask you about that one. So thank you for doing that.
1: And, you know, Penguin is completely kicking Amazon's butt in the category in which they work. And the category in which they work is uh, interesting magic for amateur mu- magicians right. of re- who have resources. So maybe Penguin has 100,000 loyal customers. Mm. But they show up because there's a new product three times a week and the only way the only way to learn how to do the trick is to buy the product and they use video and they use email and they cater to this group obsessively Mm. Uh, another example i'll give you uh someone just turned me on to uh, a guy who has a wine newsletter Mm. and twice a week he sends a newsletter out to his group of people about a particular kind of wine he was able to get for one third the price if you like it you write back he adds it to your shipment, and twice a year, your shipment comes in the mail. Right. Uh, these are happy, successful businesses that are changing a certain group of people. Uh, you know, we already talked about the Grateful Dead. We could talk about um, that restaurant in town that isn't like every other fish and chips restaurant. It's the one that costs three times as much. Sure. But in return, you get a different kind of experience. And if someone comes to them and says, why aren't you cheap like the other ones? The owner can happily say, here's the business card of a cheap one down the street. Tell him I sent you. Yes. It's not for you. Mm -hmm. And what we get to do as marketers, if we want to change our corner of the culture, whether we're a politician or a fish and chip store, is we get the chance to say, I made this for you, not for you. Mm -hmm. You're one of those kinds of people that like this sort of thing. I'm here for you.
0: Yes. Yes. I think the um, thank thank you for that. I think the the interesting thing about the Penguin Magic story when I read it in the book is that, it, and it sort of, it explodes that sort of uh, or not explores that sort of distinction around it's not for you, it's for you, it's not for you, is that you you know you explain that this is not for professional magicians because professional magicians will only need to will only need to know a handful of tricks because they'll play to different audiences. You know, they'll go on tour and play at different audiences at, at, at different times, so they don't necessarily need an infinite number of, kind of tricks. Whereas the distinction you were making was that actually this is for more amateur magicians that are playing to the same crowd, and therefore the the number of tricks they need to know needs to grow to keep their their audience, which is fixed, sort of entertained. Oh, which is fascinating because that's about un- it's truly truly about understanding your customers and. As people and kind of their kind of almost their customers or their audience as well which I thought was fascinating it just it made it I read it and I thought that's a it's a fascinating and great a great sort of example of what it means to truly understand your customers and actually to make that distinction say it's not for everybody
1: and you know sometimes people will push back and say are you saying that we shouldn't have a home run that home runs are bad and I'm not saying that at all. what mm. I'm saying is millions and millions of marketers are trying to have a home run, and only seven and only seven are having one yes so if you if you like those odds, please proceed, yeah, but I don't like those odds. I think that our work is too important to have a strike out over and over and over again in the hope that we will become the most popular viral video of all time, yes. in the hope that Heinz ketchup will buy our company and make us the next ketchup. That's, that's <laughs> unlikely to happen. So given that that's so unlikely and getting more unlikely by the day, doesn't it make more sense to have the guts to choose a small audience where you can live or die on them and then have no choice but to delight them, not yes. just, all right, I'll go down the street. You're like, you, you, you burn your boats and you say, here I am and I am here for you.
0: Yeah. But I think that, well, it's an interesting thing because it's something that's similar to what um, what I've experienced in my own sort of career and i have also going to sort of relate to other people is that, is the idea is that are, are, you know, what do you think it's better to be sort of an inch, an inch thick and a mile wide? So are you, you're trying to appeal to everybody or to try and maybe have pillars which are an inch thick and a mile sort of deep. And because then you get focus and you get relevance, but also the, the other thing you benefit from is this idea of adjacency. I.e. Then you start to attract people that are next to the people that you are saying this is for you. And then there becomes this a social effect where people turn around and go, well, I want to be like them or I want to be part of that group. And
1: then it can spread that way. It, exactly. Metcalf's law. Right. So Metcalf, Metcalf's law was, you know, he invented Ethernet. Right. And what he, what he discovered, the original product was, you could hook up three computers to one printer. And given the hassle, that didn't really sell very well. But then he realized that he could hook up many computers to one network. And the cost of being left out of the network keeps going up as more people join the network. Right. The value of the network goes up algorithmically, mm-hmm. uh, exponentially, excuse me. And so as a result... Success breeds more success. Yes. And we, and that's what we see in every corner of our culture. And yet, old-fashioned marketers are completely missing it. And so
0: this also kind of feels like, so I mean, if I think of my audience, they're going to be a mix of uh, entrepreneurs and also kind of people that are in, in larger sort of organizations. I mean, I can understand how it might be easier for entrepreneurs or people that are independent or you know, freelancers being able to understand and and, and and get this and sort of double down on it and go right, well, I'm gonna pick my my minimal viable audience or identify my minimum viable audience and then then aim to serve them. But from a from a larger organization which thought will get stuck in the mechanics of, you know, budgeting and quarterly cycles and annual planning and add campaigns and all these different sort of things, I mean what would you be your advice for, or like a, advice to a professional or a leader in, in that sort of space in terms of we need to try something different? Is it something that they should be trying to add in to their mix and so then they end up sort of displacing it? Or is it does it, does it mean they actually should completely revise their approach?
1: Well, I, I'm angling for a religious conversion here. Okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm, not, I'm not pushing a couple tactics that you can bolt on to old thinking. Yes. You know, I, I would say to the CEO, I'd say to her, would you like to be as valuable as Slack, which last time around was valued at um, $6 billion? Yeah. Because they only have 8 million users. Mm. And of the 8 million users, almost none of them pay for it. And yeah. yet they're worth $6 billion. Yes. That I, I can go down the list from camera equipment to theater publishing rights to anything you want to mention. Mm. And the high performers – with the exception of the lucky mass market outliers, mm. the high performers are the ones who are specific, not right. general. And I'm basically arguing that A, specific is the best path, and B, specific puts you on the hook. Mm. And if you're willing to be responsible for delighting the specific, then I think this is your best option.
0: I love that. And that feels like a, feels like a really good place – to sort of almost like end in many ways is like because it's it's like a challenge.
1: Are you willing to delight the specific? I agree, and I and I think that if people are looking for sugarcoating, you and I are not going to give it to them. <laughs> but no, uh, you know the good news is that marketers get all the fancy snacks and get to have fun at work. The bad news is sometimes we have to do things that are scary.
0: And actually, the, the other thing is, like, it's it, whilst you might be, con- you know, I think it's important to to add is, like, also, this is not easy, and it requires work, like, work that you've never been accustomed to before, because it requires you to be vulnerable, it requires you to listen, to have empathy, to care, to be compassionate, all these different sort of things, and it's different, it's a different type of, type of work, and I think people will start having to develop emotional muscles that they've never sort of, they'll sort of, that was that old saying, which is like, "I'm hurting in places, in, where I never knew I had muscles." I, I never think,
1: even knew I had places.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I think that that's the reality of it. But it is—it's—it's—it's it's, it's a huge growth opportunity. But if people have the courage to serve the specific or serve and delight the specific, as you brilliantly said, I think that's a great a great challenge. And with that, kind of Seth, I just want to say once again, it's always a pleasure to talk to you. I mean, I, I'm I'm loving the book. I'm looking forward to it kind of coming out because it's, as you say, it's a summation, it's a, like a composite, it's a synthesis of a lot, a lot of stuff you've been talking about for the longest time, but it is in everything, you know, in a, in a long way, It's like a, it's both a call to action and a manifesto to say, this has got to change because if we wanna make a change, if we wanna increase relevance, if we wanna do work that matters, then it's not gonna happen by accident we have to do something about it. So for that, I say thank you. It's been a pleasure talking to you.
1: Well, thank you, and thank you for doing this podcast. I know it can be thankless sometimes, so I'm here to say, keep it up, it matters.
0: Thank you. Well, that's it for another interview. I really hope you enjoyed it. Now, every time I complete one of these interviews, I learn something new, and I try and incorporate that new learning into my writing, my speaking, my workshops, and the consulting that I do for my clients. If you're interested you can find out more about how i work with clients over at AdriansWimsco.com. but one final thing before i go please consider heading over to itunes or whichever podcast platform you choose to use and do leave a review every little helps as they say anyway that's all for now thank you for listening and do listen in again all the very best